On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about one of the few election issues where the parties really diverge, child care. We're going to figure out who is giving you what and where and how and how much and all the rest of that stuff. Stick around and talking Ticats. They got a bit of a conundrum here. They got two great quarterbacks, but both are banged up right now. Is this good timing for something like that to happen or is this a terrible time? Well, Rick Zamperin is going to join us to talk about that. Stick around. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. We are into the final stretch drive of the election, as I'm assuming you know. If you don't know that, how do you not know that? Anyway, uh, and there are so many issues that are up for discussion in this election. And yet, as you start to go through the platforms of the various parties, there's not huge gaps. I mean, honestly, if you, if I was to tell you what party A's platform was and we'll talk about the leading parties and party B's platform and party C's platform and didn't necessarily tell you the dollar amounts, just told you what the platform was. I think a lot of people would have a lot of time, a lot of difficulty guessing which was which, because there just are so many similarities, which is very weird, very weird. There is one area, however, where there is a significant difference in their proposals, in their plans. And that would be in the national daycare proposals. I want to talk about that one because it is one of the, one of the stark differences. And for people who are really struggling to figure out what do I, who do I vote for? Cause they all seem pretty much the same. They all want to spend a ton of money on a ton of stuff. Uh, let's talk about this one for a, for a second. I want to bring in Peter Sean Taylor. He is the senior features editor at C2C Journal. He has written about this. Uh, Peter, thanks for doing this today. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's uh, my pleasure to be here, Scott. Let me uh, let me give you, if I can, and I want you to correct me where I go wrong here, the Reader's Digest shortest possible version of the difference between the Liberals and Conservatives platform. The Liberals want a national program in which everyone can get childcare for $10 a day at daycare facilities, built through funding from the government. It's a, it's a bureaucratic overseen system. And the conservatives want to give families money to pick their best childcare option, not maybe as much as the liberals, but you have the choice. Am I pretty close? Uh, pretty close. Uh, the, the fact is, the I think most of the money the liberals are proposing, that's $30 billion over five years, um, is going to go to subsidizing existing spaces. I don't know that there will necessarily be, they talk a lot about adding spaces, but I think um, most of that money is just going to have to go to subsidizing. It's such a big task to get the price down to $10. Um, so that's a, a caveat there. But but other than that, uh, uh, you're correct. Uh, liberals and the NDP have an identical platform. Uh, you know, uh, formal child care is... Uh, 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 the only thing that uh, receives money uh, through the Liberal and the NDP plan um, and the Conservative plan, whatever it is you're doing, if you're spending money on child care, you're going to get a what they call a refundable tax credit, uh, which could be at worth up to $6,000, depending on what your uh, family income is. And you can spend it, as you said, however you want, if uh, um, paying whoever outside of the home um, oh. that you choose. Let's go through a pro and the con on each of these mm -hmm. ones. The, the Liberals and NDP one, the uh, pro, I think, here is that it seems consistent. It seems simple. It seems pretty easy. You find a daycare center and you go and it's paid for except for the 10 bucks a day. That it's, It seems like that's a pretty easy way to be able in, to do In this. a big city where you can pay, you know, $60 or more a day for child care. Yeah, it's a big winner for people that, that use formal child care and that uh, can access a spot 
um, it will certainly, you know, the math is going to be um, in their favor. Um, the thing is, uh, out of all children, children that go to f- the formal child care centers, which are the only you know, organization that's going to get any money out of that $30 billion, that's only, um, it's less than a third of all children in Canada. So we shouldn't fool ourselves that this is some kind of universal program. It is a program that will benefit um, fam- parents and children that have chosen a, a particular style of child care. Um, the the potential group uh, the, the group is a lot bigger that uh, will potentially benefit from the conservative plan although the money they're offering individually is smaller so it's kind of like a it's almost like a, a lottery ticket perhaps do you want a small chance at a big win or do you want a big chance at a small win I guess and and that's uh, presumably what parents are going to be um, working through I guess if if they decide that childcare is the the topic that they're going to base their vote on. But is the Liberals and Conservatives, Liberals and NDP not based pretty closely on the Quebec model, which seems like it's pretty popular within Quebec, is it not? Well, that's a really interesting point to bring up. Um, The Quebec model actually consists of two parts, and the Liberals and NDP are promoting one half of the Quebec model, which is the, you know, the CEPEOs, the... the, um, formal child care center aspect. But what happened when Quebec brought that out is uh, um, it was wildly oversubscribed, so there was uh, big waiting lists. And it turned out that um, almost all the families that were benefiting were disproportionately middle and upper income. So it didn't really have the equity um, uh, aspects that, that one might like. Um, and to solve the problems that, that the payos caused in Quebec, they also brought in a refundable tax credit, which is identical. I mean, the Conservatives have just taken um, the exact specifications of the, of the tax credit. Um, and that was meant to spur private sector creation of new spaces because the system, the non-profit government-funded system, simply couldn't keep up with demand. So um, it's a bit of a curiosity here. Be- people talk about the Quebec system. Um, you've actually got both aspects of the Quebec system up for grabs right now. Uh, Liberals and NDP are promoting one half of the Quebec Mm. system, and the Conservatives are are promoting the other half. So if you go around saying, I love the Quebec system, uh, who should I vote for? Well, you've got to decide which part (laughs) of the Quebec system you like. All right, all right. Uh, well, okay, now let's flip over to the conservative side mm-hmm. for a second. So, I mean, it, look, if you want, as you say, if you're in a city and you want to have simplicity, potentially, mm-hmm. there you go with the liberals. The one thing that really strikes me about the the liberals platform, though, on this one that I don't get, this is a great idea if you are someone who is scraping by. But if I'm making $500,000 a year, why should I be getting health daycare for free? Exactly. And, and as I said, the experience in Quebec suggests that... Uh, this sort of um, institutionalized, government-funded, nonprofit uh, daycare tends to um, that that is generally oversubscribed. Um, middle and upper-income families are the ones that tend to find their way to the top of the waiting list and get get all that um, uh, get the benefits from it. So so it's a little perverse in that way. And and to the conservatives' credit. Um, their plan is heavily skewed towards lower-income families. It will deliver most of its benefit to um, lower-income families uh, in, a, in a way that the, if you go with the institutional child care subsidization plan, it, it doesn't. 
Let me go back to that institutional idea for a second, because there's one other issue that I think was raised in a debate, or I heard someone talking about, I don't know where I heard it, Mm -hmm. but it was a very good question, and that is, will there be a guarantee, or in Quebec, is there a guarantee that if I'm a shift worker, so I need childcare from midnight until 8 a.m., that there is going to be a childcare facility open for me? Is, Is there a guarantee that these institutional ones work around the clock? Not at all. Um, and I did an earlier story about the sort of the role of the, the private sector in um, in, in child care. Uh, and and the, the evidence is that the that nonprofit institutional government funded thing that everyone that all the academics really talk about, they're very, um, very much nine to five, a regimented kind of system. They don't like change. They're not innovative in any way. Um, and if you want innovation, you tend to have to go to the private sector. And and there was I had there's lots of examples, especially in Alberta, where they are the, the government said we want to have this kind of 24-hour um, opportunity for childcare that you just mentioned. Um, when they put out a call, it was the private sector that answered that. So there's a risk. You know, the Liberal plan is explicitly not for profit um, in, in the budget. It made that point that that's that's its desirable uh, aspect. And, and and experience uh, shows me that it's the private sector that delivers innovation, and you're going to lose that. And, and there's certainly there's absolutely no guarantee that you'll be able to get shift um, work style childcare under the under the Liberal plan. We we just have a minute left, but mm-hmm. what happens to the private daycare centers right now? If it was if the Liberals were to implement theirs, could the private daycare centers sign on as one of the daycare centers that would be in the institutional daycare, or are you locked out? Oh, they, that depends on the provinces. I would think the sector that is really at risk is the home daycares. Um, those are, you know, um, mothers that decide uh, they want to look after their kid, and maybe they take in a couple of neighbors' kids at the same time. Um, I think that's a very valuable resource. Um, it's very local. You know, people, you go down, just walk down the block and take your kid. It's, it's sometimes they're tied into the local schools. They'll pick the kids up after school, et cetera. I think that is the, as opposed to sort of an entrepreneurial style um, formal daycare that, that has an owner, I think the home daycare is the, is the sector that's really at risk if you uh, bring in the, the, the liberal style plan. And I Peter Sean Taylor. I wish we had more time to talk. Uh, You can read this piece. It's at C2C, the letter C, number two, letter C, C C2C Journal. Uh, The headline is Child Care on the Ballot. If you want way more details to figure out, if you fall into this group, if you have daycare needs and you're trying to figure out, you know, here's the one issue that I can decide who to vote for, go read it and uh, it'll help you. I'm sure it will help you to figure out what the differences are and which one you like better. Peter, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this. It was a pleasure, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Ty Cats are, well, they lost their last game, but um, they got a bit of a situation here now. I want to bring in Rick Zamperin, not only the host of the morning show, he should be in bed long by now because he's up at some, at quarter to stupid every morning now, but he is also the host of the fifth quarter after every Ty Cat game here on 900 CHML. Why aren't you in bed? Other than the fact that we called you. Uh, right now, I just you know what I just finished making my breakfast for tomorrow and my lunch for tomorrow, and uh, I'm settling into what uh, appears to be a pretty fine baseball game at the dome. Well, all right. Uh, I if I was you and I had to get up at the hour you did, I would have been asleep at three. But uh, <laughs> that's just that's just me. Um, 
Rick, you 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 follow the Ticats very closely. You talk to the fans after the games. You've been watching this stuff very closely. They're in a bit of a, a spot here because Dane Evans is now hurt. The quarterback out four to six weeks, I think they said. Jeremiah Mazzoli, we're not really sure where he is right now. And if you look at their schedule, I don't know if this is the best time or the worst time for this because it, it seems like we're in a stretch here of four or five games where you should probably think you could win all of them. And yet now your quarterback situation is a little funky. Is this a great time because, you know, these are winnable games or is this a bad time? Cause Hey, these are winnable games. I think this is a, I think it's, it's a better good time as opposed to a better bad time. If I can put it that way. I think if, if you're going to have a quarterback at the end of the day, this is a pickle. They're in a pickle right now. <laughs> if you're, and they're yes. opening up the pickle jar, and they're not quite sure which pickle they're going to plunk out of the brine. Um, but I think this is a best-case scenario for them to have this kind of issue because, as you mentioned, yeah, they have Calgary on the slate on Friday, and Calgary is always a tough out, although you know they're 2-4 and four this season. They've had some quarterback issues as well, although Bull Levi Mitchell looked pretty good in the last game. Um, they have a stretch in which you know Ottawa, uh, Toronto again, um, you know, Edmonton towards, you know, the end of this kind of homestand after they, uh, you know, leave Ontario. I mean, they're going to be in Ontario for the next, I think it's four or five weeks in a row, and then they finally head out west to play uh, the Elks. I think now is probably the time to have this situation as opposed to certainly off the, you know, going into the, the, the season opener and certainly not going into the playoffs. I mean, that would be, I think, the worst time. So I think now that they're you know, at home for the most part, or in the province of Ontario, not really traveling until uh, mid to late October. I think now is probably the best time to go through this. In saying that, though, it's not a very good situation because, you know, they're 0-2 with Jeremiah Masoli. Uh, they're 2-0, and well, kind of 2-1 and with Dane Evans as the starter. And David Watford is just a huge question mark. We know he's a talented guy, and, you know, we saw towards the end of the Toronto game, but can he do it for 60 minutes? Can he do it for a few games if he's asked to do that? Um, interesting times in Steeltown, for sure. Yeah, the uh, and I caught Rick Cole on this one, but I mean, the schedule right now is Calgary Friday, uh, Ottawa, Montreal, Toronto, Ottawa. So at least three of those, the the Calgary, the way they're playing, and two Ottawas, you would say, you know, the Ticats should probably expect to win, but what do you do if you're not sure about your quarterback? And what do you do now with, the quarterbacking, because there's an old axiom in sports that says you don't lose your job to an injury. So Mazzoli gets injured. Dane Evans comes in. He hadn't played all that well, although the offensive line certainly didn't help him. Uh, Dane Evans comes in, looks pretty darn good. Probably you would have thought stole the job, but now he's injured and Mazzoli's back in. Do you? Do we know? Do you have any sense of who is the starting quarterback for the Hamilton Tiger Cats right now? It's Assuming everyone's crazy. healthy. Yeah, if all three guys are healthy, I, I don't know. I think by default, it's Dane Evans just looking at, you know, the, the, the two records this season. But, uh, you know, uh, we could have said that going into the season opener, and it was Jeremiah Masoli. I think at the end of the day, you know, Coach Orlando Steinauer is going to have to look at the opponent to say, all right, who gives us the best chance? Who's the healthiest guy when Dane does come back? But I think right now, if all three guys were healthy, I, I don't know. I'm not sure there's a clear-cut answer to that question. You know, it's good that you've got quarterbacks because in the CFL you need to have at least two quarterbacks or you'd like to have at least two quarterbacks who you know can play. But is that a good situation where you may be going into week six and I know guys are hurt right now, but where you don't know who your guy is? 
Well, I mean, you can flip it the other way, too. You know, for, for Calgary, they certainly have, I think, two very capable quarterbacks. Certainly, Bill Levi Mitchell, a two-time breakup champ and, and most outstanding player. Uh, but Meyer has, you know, come in, I think, surprised a lot of people. So that gives them options. So having two guys and even a capable third, which I think the Ticats have, that gives the coaching staff options. If one guy isn't going well, you can insert the other guy. If one guy gets hurt, you know, you go to you go to plan B. But I get what you're saying. If things are not going well and you're kind of shuffling back and forth, it gives the team that lack of identity. You know, who's the guy? It's that guessing game week in and week out that really puts the entire team, not just the quarterback situation, the entire team kind of in flux in the direction that they're going. And that could lead to poor play throughout the lineup. So, yeah, it, there's some good and some bad to having a top two. I think there's more good just because the options that you have and the safety net that you have. But, yeah, there are some uh, cons to that equation as well, certainly when things are not going very well. Well, so it, look, it's way better than having nobody, right? It's way mm-hmm. better than being yeah. a team where you don't have a starting quarterback or you, you have nobody proven and you've got to make it up on the fly. But I do believe that Orlando Steinauer, if he had his druthers, by now would know who his starter is and can ride that guy and hopefully build up the momentum because it's a short season. You you don't want to be, I don't think, fittering around too much to figure out your lineup. You want to have a lineup and you want to work with it and you want to make it good and you want to have it hitting on all cylinders when you get to the playoffs. 100%. If you asked Orlando if he would rather have that scenario, I think hands down he would say, yeah, you know, whoever that guy is, go with that guy. And if he plays well, you know, you're set. I mean, look at the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and Zach Caleros has been you know, outstanding. That defense has been, you know, crazy good too. But having that one guy, Cody Fajardo in Saskatchewan, you know, Michael Riley in BC, although, you know, he kind of started the season hurt, he's the guy. So there are definitely advantages. You know, it calms the team. You know who that guy is. There's no guessing. There's no second guessing. Um, Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind. Every coach wants to have that one you know, superstar quarterback or elite level quarterback or above average quarterback that you know every given you know Friday night or Saturday or whatever the case is, uh, you're set at that position. Because again, it's a short season. The Ticats have played five games already, and there's only 14. And so, you know, you miss six weeks or five weeks even. You've only got a few weeks left to to really figure it all out again. If when, when Dane Evans comes back, who is the team? And I'm guessing it has to be Calgary, but who's the team that surprised you the most this year in the league so far? Again, we're close to halfway through. Yeah, Calgary would be there for sure. You know, I expected them to challenge for the division title, and obviously losing your number one quarterback doesn't help. Losing, you know, uh, probably your top two receivers in, in Daniels and Rodgers, or at least, you know, not resigning them and letting them go to Toronto, I think obviously hurts. There's not that... Uh, danger with Calgary's offense like we've seen in the past with the likes of, you know, John Cornish and, uh, you know, Markway McDaniel, you know, these superstar guys are elite level talent that can break a game open. They really don't have a lot of game breakers, at least not the amount that they had. And defensively, they're kind of struggling as well. Um, you know, they've, they've had a couple of good games, but overall, Calgary, I think, is the biggest surprise uh, from a negative sense, from a positive sense, you know, I knew Winnipeg was going to be good. I didn't think they would be this dominant. I mean, they are absolutely destroying people. Not that it's, you know, not that the score is 50 to 10 or anything, but, you know, when you can limit opponents to eight points, nine points, 11 points, whatever the case is, you're going to win, especially in the CFL. And their offense is doing some pretty good things, too. So Winnipeg, in a good sense, not necessarily a surprise, but it's really nice to see 
uh, Calgary. Certainly surprising. I thought they'd be better than two and four at this point. We got a couple more minutes here, and uh, then I got to let you get to bed or watch the game or whatever it is. But I, I did want to ask you: There's all of a sudden because we're now getting close to training camp starting, and the the chatter around the Maple Leafs world, and also they've got this um, this series coming out, this uh, all or nothing. It's called, and uh, mm-hmm. everyone's having a lot of fun with the spoilers. That um, yeah, and it's nothing uh, <laughs> based on last year. <laughs> it's a weird it's a weird title when you know what ends up happening. To yeah, yeah we know it's nothing. It should um, be called all for nothing. We, that would have been a much better one, yeah. <laughs> or just how do you spell? Because <laughs> that might might have defined it. Yeah, I, I'm looking at this going. When the Leafs get going, when Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews and all these guys, when this team gets going this year, is there any excitement around this team until the playoffs, assuming they make the playoffs. Cause I look and I go, you know, when Austin Matthews scores a goal this year, now it might be a beautiful goal and people get out of their seats, but you know, when Marner scores or Matthew scores, I think the, the, every single person in leaf world is looking at this going, that's fine. What are you going to do in the playoffs? That's nice. What are you going to do in the playoffs? I think the regular season this year, they could get 300 points each. And everyone go, yeah, but what are you going to do in the playoffs? I don't care what you can do in the regular season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, number one, I, I think this you know documentary, which, which is turning out to be a mockumentary, really came out in the wrong <laughs> the wrong season. I mean, they should have probably pressed pause after they got you know uh, beaten by the Habs. But I, I get what you're saying, and I do agree to some extent. the The only thing that is making me hesitant to go all in on your assessment uh, is that fans will be back in the arena, so that. I think the excitement of being back is going to be tremendous. Uh, but I get what you're saying. This team, <laughs> I mean, Austin Matthews can go out and score 60 goals. You know, John Tavares can, you know, win, win an award, whatever the case is. Uh, you know, Jack Campbell can win the Vezina. Uh, and, and, and they can have, you know, a boatload of all-stars. But until the playoffs come, I, I think the excitement is going to be tempered because the expectation is, they have to win a playoff series, and they haven't done that in a long, long time. They haven't done that with this core group. And if they don't again, I mean, we expect the changes this offseason. They didn't happen. The previous offseason, they didn't happen. If they go out in the first round again, or even in the second round, I mean, what is the goal of this Leafs team? It's to win the Stanley Cup. The window is open now. Um, but each and every year, it's closing a little further. And... Um, you know, at the end of the contract of uh, the likes of Marner and Matthews and Nylander and Tavares, it'll be slammed shut unless they, you know, opt to re-sign. But they'll have, you know, a lot more leverage in their back pocket. Not to say that, um, you know, they deserve, uh, you know, $10, 11 $12 million multi-year contracts if they don't win a playoff series. But they'll have other suitors coming, uh, you know, to, to bid for their services. So I guess, you know, in a, in a roundabout way, I'm kind of agreeing with what you're saying. This team is not going to be that exciting until playoff time. And then it's going to be, okay, you got to show us whether or not you can get over this massive hump. Yeah. I, I I look, I I just look at this thing and I think they've also now the playoff picture because they're back in their normal division with Tampa and Boston Mm -hmm. and Florida and Montreal and Ottawa, which is better. I mean, like I'm not positive and this may be crazy. I'm not positive. The Leafs make the playoffs this year. I'm really not. I, I, I would not, if you said you have to bet all your money one way or the other, I'm not betting necessarily on the Leafs making the playoffs. This is a really tough division. 
And, you know, and even if they do, all of a sudden it's like, man, you got to go now. You're probably going to play Boston again or Tampa mm-hmm. early on. And it's like, boy, oh boy. I, I it, To me, the regular season is, is uh, I'm with a lot of the other Leaf fans. It's like, you know what? Score yourself 500 points. Doesn't matter. Show me what you're going to do in the playoffs because none of the rest matters at this point. Anyway. Rick Zamperin, it is uh, it is well past your bedtime. Uh, get some uh, Ovaltine and uh, and your slippers on, and away you go and get some sleep. Rick is on the air at five thirty tomorrow morning. Five thirty. Is any other human being up at that time? Oh, uh, actually, we have a few listeners at five thirty. Well, surprised. I know the listeners. Yeah. <laughs> Whether they're paying attention or even you know awake at that point, I'm, I might be putting them to sleep. So I don't know. Uh, many years ago, we got to run, but many years ago. I was uh, doing an interview on a radio station at something like that, 5.30, 5 o'clock, whatever. They called me, and uh, I answered the phone, but I was, like, barely conscious. And between the time they got me on the phone, came out of the commercial break, I had fallen asleep with the phone on my chest. <laughs> and so the host could hear me snoring into the phone. <laughs> I was at 5.30 is way early. But, yes, everybody, tune in and hear Rick Zamperin every morning at 5.30. His best work is done right at 5.30, so be there at the beginning and then through the rest of the day. Yeah, uh, Rick, it, appreciate it just, this. It just goes downhill from the start. <laughs> no, 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 no. It picks up speed from there, but it's the beginning is is, uh, is majestic every day. Uh, appreciate you doing this. Thanks for the time. You got it. Anytime. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.